0: This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live.
1: Hello, good evening, good afternoon, good night, um, whatever you are, however you are, good whatever it is. Thank you very much for joining us today um, on our twilight show. Again, I, I mentioned this uh, this twilightness of the show and how it's... Uh, rather untwilighty here in in spain at the moment it's it's quite the opposite in fact it's uh it's it's very sunny and it's very hot uh, and and i have the good fortune of being in a room without air conditioning uh that is now in direct sunlight so i'm sitting next to my my window with a fan on and the the window next to me we have what are called persianas which i guess are persian blinds would be the the translation into English, and they're made out of metal. And this one is extremely hot. And do you know what? I'm going to touch it. Yep, yeah, I did burn my hand a little bit. That was quite foolish of me. Um, I'll try not to do that one again. Um, so it's been a, a fun week. Um, I'm going to be honest, I've kind of had a bit of a slacking off week this week. It's not been my most productive week of all time as a as a freelancer i mean i do have my my classes that i attend uh, on a weekly basis that i attend I, I give on a weekly basis uh, i have three classes which i have of course done um but otherwise i did what i call a checkout tuesday uh, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of one of those. But basically, it's when you do absolutely nothing and you do it on a Tuesday. And it sounds nice because Tuesday and check out rhyme. So as an English teacher, you can kind of excuse yourself. My uh, cousin has arrived. She's here. Um, it's always nice to see Lizzie. Uh, and otherwise, I've been, you know, trying to keep myself busy by by writing as much as I can. Um, But as I say, Tuesday was a write off as I checked out, uh, but today's been somewhat busier. Uh, Other super exciting news is Renewable English is coming to the end of its second series uh, on Friday, something I've not been publicizing very much, maybe because I've not had the motivation to do so, but it's really exciting to get to the end of this second series. Uh, We've been going for um, about 18 months now. And the last series, you may remember, ended on June the 24th last year, uh, which culminated in me shaving my head for charity. Uh, uh, Those of you who have seen me since, either online, offline, or any kind of line, uh, will know I have not bothered to try growing my hair back because I think it would probably be something of an embarrassment. It kind of gets to that weird elephant length now, where it looks like those the hairs on an elephant. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I don't continue after that. Um, I just shave it all off again. i go for the Viking look. Um, but enough about uh, my grooming routine. Um, I could, of course, mention how frequently I comb my beard. Uh, my guest today, George, is actually he's on Zoom at the moment, and he can see me combing my beard right now um you can't because this is radio um although i'm sure we will be coming back with some teachers talk radio tv very soon perhaps after the summer um do you have any wonderful summer plans built in here in spain we go on holiday as of next week uh so next wednesday the 22nd will be um uh, I'll, will be my last show for a few weeks uh, because I'm, I'm going off to Rome to go to a mindfulness camp because I think it's time I disconnected. Uh, and so I'll be doing some mindfulness uh, and having some fun as well. But I, I will be joined very shortly. Well, in fact, I am joined by George Wilson. He is here, uh, but I'll be introducing him and bringing him in very soon. But first, it's time for the news.
3: in bursary. Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at stevewoods.co.uk.
4: Here at Witherslack Group, we are celebrating the launch of our new Luxborough Court School in Chickwell, Essex with a very special one-day autism conference titled Enabling Inspirational Education. Taking place on Wednesday the 29th of June from 10am at Luxborough Court School, our event is dedicated to providing practical advice to education professionals working with neurodiverse children and young people. The event is free to attend and presentations on the day will focus on creating cultures of aspiration and excellence, supporting the emotional well-being of pupils Autism-friendly classrooms and managing challenging behaviour. So, whether you're looking to add to your extensive understanding or are new to SEN and wanting to build your knowledge, our conference will offer an amazing opportunity to engage with experts and network with colleagues from across the sector. Don't miss your chance to claim your free ticket and we hope you can join us for what's sure to be a fantastic day. Visit wwwwitherslackgroupcouk forward slash events to register or contact events at Witherslackgroup.co.uk for more information.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn.
5: A food strategy white paper is to be unveiled by Boris Johnson this week. The Prime Minister has been criticised but ignoring suggestions made by his food czar Henry Dimbleby. At the moment most children in year three and above do not qualify for free school meals if their household income from work is more than £7,400 a year. Mr Dimbleby suggested either extending this to all children in households receiving universal credit or raising the income threshold to £20,000. Neither of these ideas has been included. According to campaigners Feeding Britain, extending eligibility would have benefited thousands of children. A government source has told the Mirror, we're very clear we will continue to keep free school meals eligibility under review. In Scotland, the Liberal Democrats are challenging the Scottish Government over whether a promise to recruit more nursery teachers to work in the most deprived communities has been binned. In January 2017, Nicola Sturgeon, First Minister, committed that an extra 435 graduates would be in place in nurseries by 2018, at the time insisting the move was absolutely crucial to tackling the attainment gap. Liberal Democrat Education Spokesman Willie Rennie said More than hundred nurseries in the most deprived communities in Scotland don't have the extra nursery teacher Nicola Sturgeon personally promised would arrive in 2018. Astonishingly, at the current rate of progress, it's going to take another 10 years for the SNP to meet what was a one-year target. Nicola Sturgeon promising education would be her number one priority feels like an awfully long time ago for children and parents. They are being taken for a ride. They deserve to know if the nursery staffing target will ever be met or if it has been binned too. Children's Minister Claire Hoy said, Since 2017, the early learning and childcare workforce has expanded massively with graduate ELC staff increasing by more than half. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio news with Gail Glen.
0: This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio.
3: Hello, this week's Two Minute Tech is in response to a Twitter post from Tom HB asking what makes a good multiple choice question. I'm not here to discuss the research behind questioning, you can do that on his show, but I can give you some tech that makes a good multiple choice question. Here I celebrate the beauty of tech and all the positives that we can gain. Did you know a lot of multi choice question builders will give you data? It is down to you to decide if the data is useful. However, the data Data is automatically generated, so you don't have to do any marking. Data can be exported and added to a spreadsheet for quick comparison. Electronic multi-choice questions can be shared easily. They work across multiple devices and can be reused or tweaked in future activities. Individual question feedback is available on the individual or the cohort. Everyone has their favorites. Some allow live synchronous participation Others are asynchronous and can be done at any time. Kahoot! is an example of this. Well known by teachers and it gives both of these options and has a bank of pre-made questions from its large community. The quiz platform you choose will depend on the required outcome. Do you want a quick poll during a presentation? Then iSpring will embed into a PowerPoint or a link to Mentimeter will let you get live feedback. Do you want to ensure knowledge is remembered through repetition? Then create a Google or Microsoft form, call it a breakout room and set it to go back to the beginning every time a question is answered incorrectly. This will force the correct answers to be entered to complete the room. And you will be the cool teacher that's down with the kids, knowing what a breakout room is. Put simply, electronic quizzes can be great if you use one that suits your topic. Why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022 and tell us what you want to know about tech? I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech.
0: Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio
1: there we go hello everybody uh, and welcome back i'm going to invite george into the room um george wilson is the academic manager in charge of teacher training and bilingual education for the british council in france um he's from the uk but he's now french um he's taken up citizenship there he's lived there for 18 years um after some brief stints in in other places such as spain italy argentina and australia oh i'm gonna i unmuted him but i think he unmuted himself at the same time and thus muted himself but george can you hear me i can't hear you what about now yes i can hear you yes (laughs) hi (laughs) It happened last week as well. When if I unmute you, it doesn't unmute you properly. Maybe I don't, know. <laughs> I say you unmute yourself. Hi there, George. Hello. Um, it's a real pleasure you... to be here. Oh, you. you have no idea how happy I am to have you, have you here on the show. Um, I will talk very shortly about um, how it came to pass that you are on the show um, and how I came to, to, to find out who you were uh, and what you do. Uh, But before we do that, um, something I like to to ask my guests is a little bit about their their journey into teaching, um, and in our case, ELT teaching. Fair point. (laughs) So um, I'm from a small
6: village in Cambridgeshire, in the middle of the Fens, and it's very small. It's known as Little Downham, in fact it's called Little Downham. From there, I went to university in Leeds. And during my year abroad in in Nantes, I completely fell in love with France. I absolutely loved it. And I decided that I really enjoyed teaching as well. So when I had the chance to go back to France after my degree, I took up a job at a university in Paris and I've been there ever since, on and off. And so, yeah, it's it's kind of my home now, I guess.
1: It it very much is your home now. When I, I finally actually got the chance to to meet you in real life, um, we were on our way to your to your your hometown, uh, Paris, <laughs> yes. uh, and and you are in fact you are in fact French now. Am I correct? Well, I am correct. That's I've seen quite your passport. right. Yeah, it's funny actually. I, I
6: became French in 2012 when it really seemed a bit kind of it was more a thing of principle. <laughs> I was like, I want to vote. <laughs> but I didn't take it very seriously. And I'm glad I did it, though. All that paperwork paid off in the end.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's something that's that's very much on my mind at the moment, because, you know, there is an awful lot of bureaucracy and paperwork to get through to become Spanish. And I have Mm. been here for 12 years, but it's coming up to the local elections at the moment. Um, And well the the region the regional elections so the elections in andalusia andalusia is massive um and it, there's a there's a political party called vox who mm-hmm. really exists um and they're basically everything that is wrong about the world they're they're a far right <laughs> party but they're openly far right now I don't exactly know how it fits in with the sustainable development goal of you know peace justice, and strong institution. Where they talk about um, ensuring responsive, inclusive, participatory, and representative decision making at all levels, when they literally stand there at the hustings, you know, talking to their their rabid followers, um, shouting "Yes to natural family, no to LGBTQ," and you, they're literally saying that out loud in front of people and cameras. I don't know how that can how that doesn't count as hate speech, um and the fact that I can't vote because I'm not Spanish is something that makes me so angry at the moment, and it makes me want to go through the paperwork and get it done because it's just not fair that these these parties exist and and I imagine it was it was something similar with you recently over in over in France with yeah, the, we've been with with having Le pen elections. again trying to yes,
6: and other candidates as well now on the far right it's a uh... It's a funny situation, really, but I do kind of feel privileged to be able to vote, which I don't think I've ever really felt in the UK. The fact of
1: having obtained
6: that right makes me feel makes me value it an awful lot more. I think.
1: Um, Yeah, it's it's something that you know I I still I'm still able to vote in the UK. Um, I was still able to vote for the the B word. Um, Well, not for it, obviously, against it because I'm I'm not a moron. not that everybody who voted for Brexit is a moron, <laughs> but they are. Um, yeah, so that right <laughs> to vote is something that's you know super important, especially with the way the world is kind of um, di- digressing back to the awful ways of the past. Um, uh, well, history is is repeating itself, but we're not here to talk about politics. <laughs> although I'm sure we could talk about politics uh, for for quite a long time. Um, so your teaching journey, you mentioned you'd been to various places, and you'd been to, to Spain. And, and you also mentioned, right before we came on, that Jane Ritter's guest this morning mm-hmm. actually kind of, I, I, think I, 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 just, I just did a fishing <laughs> rod thing there for Georgia. I'm not sure. Hired I, you,
6: I guess? She did indeed hire me. Gail Ellis, who's a bit of a guru in the English language teaching world, I'm pleased to say she hired me um, a long time ago now, 14, <laughs> 15 years ago. I still remember my interview and she took a chance on me. I, I wasn't qualified at the time. And I'd been teaching in a university and then I'd gone off to try my hand at other things. I'd worked for the BBC for a little while in Paris mm-hmm. and established I, I wasn't a very good journalist. <laughs> I don't think I should ever be doing your job. Um, I worked for UNESCO as a translator for a while And then after that, I decided I really miss teaching. And I can genuinely, whenever I'm having a bad day, I always think about that because the BBC was such a different experience. I'd be making these news reports that would be seen by millions of people, but there was no return, there was no Mm -hmm. interaction, there was no sense that I'd somehow impacted somebody. Um, And I think that that's what I missed most. That's probably what i said in my interview <laughs> you're taking me right back
1: <laughs> but yes so she it, it's me so to true the though counsel. it's so true with teaching isn't it that you do get that it is really addictive now yeah, i'm not I, you know in a classroom on a day-to-day basis anymore i've kind of I, on a on a kind of day-to-day basis i have three permanent classes that i teach mm-hmm. but i also have you know classes online and you know i have live big live classes and, and stuff like that and it is that feedback and and one of the things today for example one of the the teachers from the the big live lessons is he's a guy in india who i work really closely with ritik um he posted all his certificates that they would got for working with the live classes and you get that feedback and they say oh this has really helped us with this and this has helped mm. us with that and it's 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 addictive you know it's That feedback is so important.
6: Yeah, and I think the other thing I love about teaching is that for me, when I go into a classroom, I tend to learn more than I teach, I think, which is probably not what I should have said in my interview. (laughs) (laughs) But essentially, I come out of the class often having had my own little mini lecture from a world expert, expert in aerodynamics or a student who's put their heart and soul into learning about tax reform in the 19th century or something and these, especially the university classes but also young learner classes, they, they teach me all kinds of things and I really often see myself more as facilitating their story, kind of
1: teaching me in a fluent and fluid way. It, it is brilliant that, the, you know, as a language teacher, as, as, an, as, as a second language teacher it's such rather, a privilege it really is it really is you get so much from it you know i loved you mentioned that the aerodynamics thing i had a a proficiency student a few years ago who taught me how airplanes worked and i was just like and he brought it down to layman's terms and i was like wow it isn't just magic i really Mm -hmm. thought it was magic but these you know these highly qualified trained people they they are there for a reason it isn't just magic no and i think uh, what I feel so frustrated
6: about is I must have learnt so much in the last 18 years.
1: And I think I've forgotten most of it. So <laughs> I could start a, my career again. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like when you do those trivia games, isn't it? You finish a trivia game, yes. you're like, wow, I've got so much knowledge now. I, I've just forgotten all of it. And, um, <laughs> it is such a privilege to be able to to be there, to to watch your students grow with their language but yet also get so much back from them i, I had a, a great session today i went to my daughter's school and i, I talked to a class of second graders about plastic you know mm. we were just talking about what plastic is and how you know we can't just recycle it needs to be more than that um we need to where possible cut back obviously it's not always possible you know sometimes you're out and about and you, you don't have your reusable bottle because you've been on five hours on a train journey he's so saying if this go... because i'm holding a plastic bottle in my hand but it's absolutely okay to do it from time to time Joy. you don't need to feel guilty <laughs> about it um when there's no other way around it you know you you've, you're not at home at the moment which is which really our listeners know. aren't aware you're actually you're at a that. conference in Marseille, I believe. Uh,
6: nearly. I'm at a conference in Aix-en-Provence in the south
1: of France. Aix-en-Provence is, you know. The <laughs> yeah, I'm here
6: to kind of get to know some of the leaders of Grande Ecole and universities, which are the higher education institutions in France, to better understand how we at the British Council can kind of support them in their training needs. And it's really, really hot.
1: Yeah. <laughs> It is, it is warm. Um, you mentioned that, yeah, it, it's, it's not as, uh, as cool as in the north. I, I feel your pain right now. I, I literally feel your pain. Um, and as I mentioned before we came on, it's lucky that we are on Zoom. Otherwise, there's no chance I would be wearing any clothes whatsoever, <laughs> um, which is probably perfect that we're on the radio. Um, and the reason we're on the radio, um, something I've been speaking about over the last few weeks, actually, which is I was delighted to be able to, to invite you on and, and bring you in, um, is we're talking about inclusive curricula today. Um, I've, I've spoken to um, Martin Bloomfield about, um, about dyslexia and neurodivergent learners and that side of inclusive learning. Um, I spoke to Tyson Seaburn last week as well, um, and we met, he literally wrote the book on how to write inclusive materials, which celebrates a year um, being published uh, yesterday, I think. Um, So today I'd like to talk a bit more about inclusive curricula in general. So first, if you could share with our listeners, what are inclusive curricula? (laughs) So inclusive curricula for me are making sure
6: that the curriculum that we present to students and that we give students to work through represents who they are, that they recognise themselves within it, that it tells their stories and it relates to their own identities. And I think there are lots of different definitions of of inclusive curricula, but that's essentially the the kernel at the centre of it all. It's about going into a classroom as a student and feeling that your story is important, your story is a part of the school's narrative.
1: I, I absolutely love that. Was That was a really nice definition of it, a far better definition than I could have given. Um, and and it, for me, I've been learning a lot about it actually since Tyson's book came out, to be honest. Um, and, and I've been trying to, to get myself more in the know about it because it's so important that when we enter a classroom, we not only feel heard by our teachers, but we can see ourselves within what we're learning and and we can feel represented. Um, And I've mentioned this before, but at first I thought it was just inclusive, only men, ethnicity and um, LGBTQI, etc. That that was all I, I thought it was. You know, I thought inclusive means we have to represent other ethnicities, and you know uh not just the the gender normative heteronormative we we have to represent everybody else for that and i didn't realize that there were so many other people mm-hmm. that weren't represented like they, I, and it comes like it's it's kind of a daily thing mm-hmm. that i realize and i think i don't represent that i don't represent that in my classes my and not even that the students who come into the class are Necessarily represented, but they are also aware of these other people so they can live an inclusive life, as it were, you know, and yeah. not an exclusive Vox driven life where mm. you know they have this vitriol and hate spurted at them from their politicians, um, who incidentally have been banned from Twitter for hate speech, um, but they're still allowed to run for uh elections, you know, free speech and all, um. Ah, oh, sorry. I need to stop talking about that. If I had I hair, I'd be combusting. tearing it out. Yes, yes, I am. Put it down um, to the heat. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely blame the heat. But yeah, so we can teach everybody. You know, it's it's highly important that we start this at a young age. That so yes. you know when we when we teach our teens or our adults, it sometimes feels like, and I, I hate to say this because I've, I've seen people saying it before. It sometimes feels like it's being forced down their throats
3: Mm. like
1: i don't the way i do it is not like that but sometimes people seem to think it's being represented like that and they don't see that the you know the heteronormative lifestyle has forever been forced down everybody's throats well it's interesting because i originally became interested in this topic as part of my
6: master's research so i was doing a master's in comparative education at the Institute of Education um, in London, which is part of UCL. And I was I was searching around for a topic, for an essay, for a research study. And something somebody had said in a lecture kind of got me thinking about this topic of inclusivity, but it seemed kind of dis- detached. It seemed kind of abstract to me. And then it suddenly dawned on me that I myself had never ever seen any of my own identity reflected in school now i think it's interesting because i i'm 39 (laughs) and i began school just as section 28 was coming into force in the uk and i finished it more or less when it ended now for those who don't know section 28 of the local government act was a prohibition to kind of promote a homosexual lifestyle within public institutions and schools and there are some fascinating videos online from teachers um, who lived through this period and it kind of created that what I imagine kind of the red scare in the US would have been about and like this this kind of absolute paranoia and fear about talking about anything Mm -hmm. to do with sexuality and I grew up in a very rural community very white, very um, heteronormative. And when I I was at school, I literally never heard any mention of sexuality in any way, bar one short mention um, in sex education, which uh, was more upsetting than anything else. So it struck me that this was kind of personal to me, and that's where my interest in the topic grew, as somebody who, who decided came to terms with their identity much later. I think it was interesting to see the impact that this kind of um, rule, this kind of law, this kind of mentality had on me as a child, and on and to imagine how it could have been different if I'd had it's, my own my own uh, role models, my own representations.
1: It's 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 good you say that actually. Um, because this this mention of Section 28 um, that I didn't know existed until I heard you speak at TSO France. Um, I think it was last year or early this it was year. in October, yeah. There you go. It was in October. Um, this this Section 28 thing, I'd, I'd never heard of it. I didn't know it existed, but as soon as you mentioned it, I'm 38, so you know we were probably in you know very similar years at school. Yes. Um, And I absolutely had never heard of this idea, but when you mentioned it, it took me back to thinking about my time at school and it brought back some like really quite horrible memories. I went to an all boys school. Mm -hmm. So, you know, homosexuality was spoken about all the time, constantly by everybody, the students only, (sighs) you know, and it it was used as a pejorative term, you know, constantly oh gay gay Mm -hmm. you're gay that's every single thing um and even at the time I was just like that's not really okay and you know one of my one of my best friends came out to me when we were 16 and I actually got into some fairly heated altercations with other people because of this you know like defending him basically because Mm -hmm. the way he was being treated wasn't okay but the school did nothing about it. The school did absolutely nothing about it. Well, actually, they did less than nothing about it. They, they denied it. you know. And there was, there was a, an incident on a, on a rugby tour as well where um, one of my, my good friends was, was held down while um, the other boys, the other rugby lads, you know, being lads, having fun, inserted a deodorant can inside him um wow. through force uh and again I, I i took this to the teachers and i was told to stop spreading rumors and that wasn't okay um and it's just like but i know it happened because he's my friend and he told me and this isn't okay and i went and i you know i went home i told my my parents and they also came in and complained and were basically told you know let's not try and spread these rumors because you know can't touch the rugby team you know they my school had it's, it's it's got a World Cup winner in in our in the midst. You know, one of the mm. World Cup winners went to our school, and you know Courtney Laws, who's a rugby player, he went to our school as well. So we've got this huge rugby culture. So nothing bad could be said about them. Wow. And like these were some of the things that happened at the school, and you know it's a very well thought of school. But also, I remember very distinctly we had a a design technology teacher and he was gay and it was discovered that he was gay because he was seen out with his with his boyfriend one one with his partner one day and by a student that got into the school that went around the school the next year he had moved to a different school he was an amazing teacher he was absolutely I hate DT I am rubbish at woodwork I'm absolutely terrible I could not do any of it but you know what he made me feel like I wasn't he made me feel like do you know what Harry, you're trying your best, even though I quite often wasn't. But, you know, he made me not want to just ditch the class and not go Mm. to it because he encouraged me. And when he left, I was devastated and I couldn't understand it. But like looking back on it now, I I see maybe, you know, he felt it was easier for him to just escape because being at a boys' school and, you know, it, it would just make his life awfully difficult.
6: But it's interesting because, like... I, I talk now about how I didn't feel represented or I didn't have role models and so on. But, I mean, I was happy. I grew up happily. I'm a very happy person. My family's very was very accepting. There was no... I live a very charmed life. But, unfortunately, there are many children who don't have all those advantages. Uh, there's reports by Stonewall... Notably, in my research, I focused on one from about Scotland and the LGBTI school community in in, um, Scotland. And the figures are shocking. We're talking high percentile of of LGBTI uh, youth who have considered committing suicide, or have self-harmed, or have skipped school, or are considering not going on into further education. And I mean, that's not okay. That's not okay today. It never was. No. But we live in a society where these issues should no longer be issues. And I think it's right that governments are beginning to realize that and introducing inclusive curricula. What's interesting is to look at the distribution of those countries, that, the countries that actually have inclusive curricula, and see where they are in Europe and the role of religion in, in influencing the schooling system as well.
1: Well, yeah, I, I used to work at a private Catholic school here in Spain, um, and I lasted two full years, which I was quite proud of myself for, to be honest. Um, you know, I had to have a job, I had to pay the bills, uh, and I, I don't know quite how I lasted that long because there was, you know, on a daily basis, people, Using the Bible as an excuse to disregard, you know, two men must not lie together. I, I you know, I don't remember. It, 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 I don't remember the exact quote from the Bible, um, but I like to to then bring up other things from the Bible that they don't follow. Um, but you know, it's it's obviously used as an excuse, and you mentioned that with um, with the religion here in Spain. But conversely, Spain was one of the first countries to allow gay marriage, which was, Mm. you know, quite open from it. But I think that was when there was a left-wing government in power. And by the time the right-wing government came back in power, they were like, well, we can't really change that because, you know, it's it's kind of not okay to change that. It was actually very interesting
6: because in my my research, in my dissertation, what I was looking at was a, a comparative analysis of Sweden, the Netherlands and Ireland, and religion was kind of the one factor given the distribution in Europe that I couldn't control for Mm -hmm. and take out. And I think that skewed the results somewhat, actually. Because, in fact, um, it was interesting to note that the idea was that in Sweden and Netherlands, which have inclusive government-sanctioned inclusive curricula, we'd see longer-term happiness into adult life. Um, And in Ireland, where there wasn't inclusive curricula um, or inclusive curriculum, um people would logically not lgbti people would not be as happy as adults but that's not really what i found and i think it's it's for two reasons actually i think on the one hand the social changes in ireland linked to a decline in the influence of the catholic church no doubt um, meant that well-being of lgbti people was going up hugely in Mm -hmm. the period i was looking at and that yes there was no inclusive curriculum but that was just one factor in a, a plethora of good things that were happening, exactly. And I think in Netherlands and Ireland and Sweden, where well-being didn't increase as much as in Ireland, it's probably because—and um, this is really interesting, actually—it's one thing for governments to say we're, we're going to be inclusive, we're going to have an inclusive curriculum, but it takes a while, to, uh, a while to percolate down into the classroom. It's a shift in attitudes, it's a shift in teacher training, and a shift in teacher confidence as well. And so I think they probably haven't been fully enacted yet in those countries, or hadn't and, been in 2019.
1: And, and even when they have been, they'll take a while to kind of take effect with the students anyway, going through the system It's not going to be an yes. overnight thing that suddenly LGBTI people are like, whoa, I'm happy now because <laughs> there's a picture of, of, a, of, of yeah. a family that has a, a you know, a, a couple of men who have children. Mm. Like, so it's not just going to change overnight it's you know this systematic change takes time now you mentioned there about the teachers now yeah. I'm I'm quite curious um in terms of you know in terms of so I had Mr Ryman my, my teacher who mm. who had to leave um that was the only teacher I ever knew mm. um that didn't what that I knew of didn't identify as, as, being, as being straight. I, I didn't know any others, but there may well have been. Um, is it important for teachers to come out to their students? I think
6: that's a really interesting question. And I think it's very easy for me working for an institution that's tolerant and accepting in a country that's generally tolerant and accepting in a, and coming from a family where which is tolerant and accepting to sit and say yes, it's great that we that I walk into a classroom and I don't hide my identity And of course it is great for the students who, who are in who are concerned in debt, for all of them really because it does kind of um, give them the role models that I was lacking. But I think it would be sanctimonious to say that everyone should and could do that. In fact, there's a lot of pressure. Some another element of my research was looking at um, the pressure on teachers, gay teachers, to come out to their students. And some of them, some of the reports, show how much they suffer in rural communities where they know mm-hmm. they're going to be ostracized, in communities which have values that don't match um, what we're talking about. And I think it's a real struggle for them. I would say that rather than the onus being on LGBTI teachers to come out to their students, it should be on the entire teaching staff. If you think about the question of race or ethnicity, it would never just be on people of color to take up this challenge and (laughs) instill tolerance. It would be on the entire teaching community and it should be the same thing, I think. 100%
1: 100% I mean and of course there there are ways and ways of doing things you know you don't expect you you know I wouldn't walk into a classroom and go hey everybody just to let you know I'm straight you know you don't walk in and do that so you don't expect that you know the teachers to to come in and do that but particularly like a newly qualified teacher or or somebody who's coming in um, not really knowing how to deal with the situation there are there are ways of doing it, certainly. Um, and one thing I always do at the start of the year, like an introduction to me game, is you know I write up on the board like Harry Northampton with a sad face on it because that's where I'm from. Uh, Hema Alethea, you know, and I write all the, these names up on the board. Um, and Hema happens to be my wife. Alethea happens to be my daughter. Um, I know that that one of my previous guests from a long time ago, he does the same thing. But when he writes up on the board he writes his partner's name and then so they you know the students are going through and they're guessing that he's like, and that's my partner yeah. and just it's just there and normally there's no reaction from the students maybe at the end of the class a student will come up to him and say so are you it, it, does that mean that you're you know trying to clarify in their heads but usually mm-hmm. nowadays particularly with you know, let's talk teens. Let's talk adults. It's not a thing anymore. You know, it's, no, it's... exactly in our in our context. It's in our context, exactly. In, it's in our situation, treatment. but yeah, it's... in so many other contexts, it's a huge thing.
6: Yeah, and it's a huge thing personally as well. Like when I was younger, like I do the same thing. I have a bag when I'm teaching primary students. I have a bag of objects and. It's usually any object I can find in the five minutes when I I remember before I leave the house. But I'll always make sure there's something that will trigger a discussion. Just because my partner is a huge part of my life. Um, But at the same time, it is important to remember that that's got to be a choice on the part of the teacher. It's got to be um, something they feel comfortable with. And I didn't always feel comfortable, not because I was uncomfortable myself, but it's horrible to walk into a room and think you might be judged it's it's quite terrifying and it comes with age and confidence and confidence in your own identity i guess but yeah it's a tough thing to do
1: yeah i i i I cannot empathize um because you know i'm i'm a i'm a straight white middle class man so i I literally i'm left-handed that's about the only thing i've got i have a beard yeah. Yeah. um yeah that's about the only thing with me about the only thing i've ever been mildly judged upon is my left-handedness and that was only when i was traveling in in south america and this was a long time ago when internet cafes were a thing and all of the when i was in the internet cafes there the mouse was on the right hand and -hmm. that that's literally the only discrimination i've ever had you know i've I've had bits as a as a foreigner here in spain you know or that i heard one person say, god foreigners are so loud to which i went over to him and said am i loud you know because i was being mm. loud in english and I, and I asked him if it was a problem that i was loud but yeah i i, I literally can't empathize um with with the, the the way it must be and the difficulty in dealing with that situation it, it... but like like i said i'm very
6: lucky there's never been a bad situation for me and i'm I mean, I don't think, touch wood, I've never really uh, encountered the kind of homophobia that many people live with every day. I think the closest thing I've ever had was, um, I had a a boyfriend in Argentina when I was doing my celta, and I remember sitting in a park and people threw tomatoes at us, (laughs) but that was just more surreal than anything else. Wow. Um, So, I mean, I think that's the only time I've ever really encountered that. When did
1: you do your CELTA in Argentina? What year? Two
6: thousand and ten, I think.
1: I did my CELTA in Argentina. Really? <laughs> yeah. In two thousand and seven. I think it was um, two thousand
6: nine, actually. I
1: think there you go. I so you, you were you in the were you in the botanical gardens with all the stray cats by any chance? You know? Anyway. No, no, I was in uh, Recoleta, I think. Oh I yes, of that. course. That's where all the foreigners went, isn't it? I loved it. It's there. A long time ago it. now. <laughs> yeah, in Buenos Aires, obviously. So yeah, I. I also did my CELTA there, so, oh, wow, here we go. Um, We have something in common. That's lovely. (laughs) Um, So uh, I mentioned before uh, that I I first kind of uh, came, you came to my awareness when I I saw your your talk at at TESOL France that you also did at IOTEFL, where I I met you properly. Well, I met you properly after IOTEFL on the way to Paris. Um, Shall we say where we were? Well, we were in the airport. I had to get a plane. but like, sometimes you just have to fly. <laughs> um, we were in airport queue, uh, and we met. Um, and then we were in each another other airport feel better queue about being yeah. in airport queue. Exactly. Um, the plane was full, um, uh, but we did then car share, and George made sure that I got to my destination, which I will be eternally grateful for. Um, but you paid. So I mean it was a, it
6: was a fair <laughs> a fair trade.
1: Uh, yeah, well, I, w- I was going to pay anyway, so you know I, it was going to happen. so I just it was good that I got to share the journey and, and you know learn a bit more about you and, and France and you know I, I knew for certain that if I'd said to the driver, uh, "Le chat est sous la chaise, I would not have got to my destination. Um, so it's possible. And as that was the only, I could say gauche or droite but that wouldn't really help as I didn't know where I was going. Um, but you did a talk that, so at Tissot, France, it was completely online. Yes, Um right. I, I can't remember which day you were on um, or, or whether it was all on one day, but I know that I had very much selected a few talks to go to. And like on the list, yours was one of those that, you know, it was... I, I virtually circled it because I couldn't actually circle it because you're not allowed, Where well, you are allowed to draw on phones, but why would you? Um, I didn't go to that many talks at, at TESOL France because by this stage, you know, I'd been to TSO Spain and Athea and and I was getting very much tired with kind of online yeah. conferences and online networking. It just it felt so forced and bizarre to be cooking with each other while online. And it's just like, this doesn't feel right. It, it was great that it happened. And throughout the pandemic, we were able to connect. And, and I was able to, to speak at, at TESOL France, which was brilliant. Mm. Um, and it meant I had the opportunity to see you. But what was your your talk about? So my
6: talk was really presenting the outcome of my master's research, which, as I said, was um, interesting, I thought, because it, it didn't just give the simple message that inclusive curricula equal better wellbeing for LGBTI adults who have followed those curricula. Um, it complexifies the issue. It makes us think about the implementation. It makes us think about the role of the teacher and the, the, the desire of the teacher, the will of the teacher to actually implement that. And it also makes us question kind of a simple, perhaps perception of um catholic country no inclusive curriculum equals unhappy people Mm -hmm. whereas i think that's that's not the case i think societal issues as a whole are just as important if not more important because they set the agenda for schools beyond governments but yeah essentially the talk was about that and it was also about what i think any like I study with an aim of changing the way i teach, the way I direct the bilingual part, the section of, of the British Council, for example, or our training courses. And what we've tried really hard to do is to think about how that, that learning can be implemented in our curriculum, how we can try and make our own students feel more comfortable. And it's, it's been really interesting to see how little changes can have a real impact for example I, I teach celta and for, celta is a pre service um, english language teaching as a, a qualification and i did a session once on inclusivity and recognizing identities and there were people who said things to me afterwards that like that they never felt thought they would be able to be as open about their own identity in a language school or in their professional lives and so that's that shows that we, one teacher, one organisation, one curriculum, can really impact
1: learners. So that was that was it in a nutshell. <laughs> it's uh it is is so amazing to see, and like I've, I've tried to, you know, adapt my my teaching certainly to be more inclusive, but also to be more aware of of these other. Um, these things that I hadn't been aware of beforehand you know Mm -hmm. other identities and and so on and so forth and I think it's it's so important that as teachers we, we take this on board but also so we talk about inclusive curricula what implication does that have on materials writers for example I think there's a real onus on material writers nowadays but they're
6: kind of often in a bit of a bind I saw a really interesting talk by two materials writers at IA just before mine, in fact, and they were, uh, they were kind of explaining their catch-22 situation that they were in, where they wanted to really apply what we've been talking about, and that uh, unfortunately in my school I'm able to apply that because we make lots of our own materials. But they explained that as published materials writers, it's quite difficult to get books through publishers, um, kind of checks, because the publisher has an eye on having a wide market. I guess it's the same issue as Disney or yeah. Star Wars or things like that. That they've got one eye on how they're going to make as much money out of it, understandably, and including controversial. Well, what some people would judge as controversial issues is not really a seller.
1: Well, yeah, exactly that. Now, it, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I do materials writing myself and, and I'm working on a, on an activity book, which is mm. for the Egyptian market. And in one of the role plays, I had a, a boy speaking to a girl. Yeah. And my editor, who, who was, was, you know, very keyed into the, the ideals and, and so on and so forth, said, you can't do that. It has to either be Two boys speaking to each other, or two girls speaking to each other, mm. and I just said, <laughs> "If you, if you, it has to be changed, can somebody else change it, please? Because I'm afraid that's like beyond, like ridiculous to me. You know, to mm. to not have a girl and a, it's a it's a listening in a book. You know, the, yeah. the fact that that you can't have a a man speaking to a woman, a boy speaking to a girl." To me, that's just not okay. Now, I'm not saying here that I'm not going out there and saying, you know, yes, we need to put gay marriage in every single textbook going to Egypt because they don't know. No, it's a simple thing of having a conversation about the weather, and they're like, no, they can't do that. It has to be, it has to be the same gender, and this leads me to my next question. That um, so, what would you do if you were if you were in one of these countries, so if you were in sort of Saudi Arabia or maybe Senegal, where where it's illegal, basically. Yeah, absolutely, and I think I feel
6: I feel very uncomfortable talking about that because, as I said before, I'm hugely lucky and privileged to be able to be who I am, where I am, and many people don't have that, and or are working in contexts where they can't openly express their identity, whatever that may be. I don't have any simple answers. I know that when I think about it, I think of the need to kind of keep a dialogue open. Like you said, if you're going into a classroom and, and kind of burning all bridges with your first sentence, I guess that closes the dialogue. And I think as language teachers, the greatest tool we have to make changes to people's lives is the fact that we work with communication communication is our uh, it's our goal it's our tool and i think it's all very well and good to have our values but we can't impose them we have to kind of trigger that discussion and that critical reflection that hopefully will will bring about change in its own time i mean i, I feel like that's quite a glib answer but i'm <laughs> i don't think there is an answer that can that can easily solve the problem unfortunately
1: well, yeah, particularly in the countries where it is illegal, then you don't really want to be going in there and, you know, putting yourself yeah. in unnecessary danger. Perhaps no. maybe the the only solution to that is to find a job in a country where it isn't illegal, which obviously isn't the answer for everybody. Not everybody has the same privilege as we do, where, no. you know, we can basically go to whichever country we fancy, because we can. Um, a lot of people don't have that option. Of course, um, yes. I remember when I was living in and working in China, and um, one of my students said to me, "No, no, there aren't any gay people in China." Mm. I said, well, "There's 1.3 billion people here. There's, I mean, there's a quite a strong chance that probably there's maybe one or two, um, you know, within those billions of people." And they were adamant that they they just weren't because in China. you you know, you didn't make those choices because obviously, you know, sexuality being a choice, you you completely choose.
6: Yeah, it's interesting though because I I had a wonderful teaching experience in Australia. I taught at a university in Australia for six months and my class was entirely Chinese people and then two Brazilians. So (laughs) it was like a constant lesson in in interculturality and, and exchange, their lives were so different. Um, but it was interesting because I was able to have those conversations because I was in Australia.
1: Yeah.
6: And, and I think, I think the, the line, the kind of, um, the assert, that kind of assertion was watered down a lot in that context.
1: I think yeah. that what people say and what people know to be true are not always the same thing. Well, exactly, um, and it was it was quite strange actually because it wasn't until maybe a year later I kind of looked back, and my director of studies like abruptly left halfway through the year, and I looked back, and you know he was he was a friend of mine on Facebook and so on. I said, well, then I saw he'd gone back to to Australia actually mm-hmm. uh, to teach Chinese. Um, and then I saw you know a picture of him with his partner and it just kind of suddenly dawned on me that ah maybe he wasn't particularly comfortable being here in this situation where it was you know so so frowned upon and he couldn't be open about himself and you know he couldn't share with his colleagues you know that, that he identified as a gay man and it just it, it wasn't wasn't possible and you know I didn't I've, you know, I'm not going to go in there and just assume by the way somebody speaks or acts, you know, how they, um, mm. who they love. So, you know, and I saw online mm. it was like, uh, kind of dawned on me that maybe that was one of the reasons that he was perhaps not as comfortable as possible because he couldn't, you know, be open about who he was.
6: Yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine that. I think it's, I think that's the true difficulty of our modern world right now is that in so many places so many people are suffering whether it's those people in that survey in Scotland or whether it's people in in Afghanistan I think that so many people's identity are a source of sufferance for them and I think that's that's horrendous I mean I'm sounding very (laughs) very rose-tinted well not rose-tinted but very idealistic but I guess that's why I think this kind of conversation i think that's why that's why this kind of increasing onus on inclusivity is so important because if we don't talk about it if we don't take strides in the right direction where it's possible what message are we sending to places where it's less
1: easy well exactly exactly that um and i know we talked briefly about the 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 Senegalese football player who refused to play Mm. the day that the, the rainbow numbers were on his shirt and the fact he was being supported from, from a lot of people around rather than, you know, and, and where it was reported on the BBC, you know, your former employees, um, it wasn't being spoken about in a way that, you know, it was mentioned that people supported him rather than saying, isn't it awful that this was being supported, you know, and, and it's these institutions that have to be impartial, I'm I'm doing bunny ears here, you know, inverted commas, that it's kind of sad that they don't step up and say, this is disgraceful. You know, that this, you know, this is not okay that this is being supported and, you know, how has this not been reported as hate speech on Twitter and so on, but.
6: But I guess, I
1: guess it comes back to that
6: conversation of burning your bridges. I guess if the BBC takes the line, it loses its credibility and people aren't engaging with it anymore. I, uh, yeah, I think um, that's probably the same with with other institutions as well, and I think that's probably important to remember that we need we need people listening. Yeah, and I guess <laughs> that means keeping all, all means of dialogue open.
1: Absolutely, one hundred percent. So we're going to talk very briefly now about um, multilingual identities. Mm. Um, this is At my day um, job. Exactly, back to your day job. Um, so, And why are they so important?
6: Well, I, I, f- I feel very lucky in my job. I'm, I'm the head of bilingual education in, for the British Council in France, and we have a vibrant bilingual section that I've been teaching in for many years, and now I'm the head of. Um, it's interesting that over that time, I think I've seen, I don't know if I've seen a shift or if my own awareness has shifted from this desire to kind of create this bubble of English to this awareness that we're never really in a bubble of English with multilingual people. Very few people are are actually monolingual in Mm -hmm. the world. We're probably, well, we're not, but many people, (laughs) (laughs) um, the people we know at home maybe are, are the exceptions in the world. And I think it's important now to recognize, especially in a bilingual section, but in in any language classroom, that when the learner walks in the room, they're not leaving their French or their Spanish or their Arabic at the door. It's constantly interacting with their English. So it's really about looking for the strength in that interaction and about looking for, I don't know, looking for how these elements can really help students see the value of English without compromising their own multilingual identity and I think that's probably the biggest challenge of the job but biggest reward
3: definitely
1: it really is because you know a lot of the time we're we're brought in with this idea of only English in the classroom Um, yeah you know, you cannot speak or identify with the other languages because they they need English immersion. And it's like, hang on a minute, I'm really sorry, but you're not going to get immersed in English two hours a week. You know, so completely disconnecting from it and disregarding from it is disrespectful. Um, yeah, and it can be harmful as well. I mean, if you
6: think about what you really want is not to deny people's identity, you want to add to their identity, you want to add another layer of communicative communicative competence, enable them to interact and talk to more people in the world. And that's not by taking away their old identity, it's by adding to it. And I think that's what we try to do. We try to increasingly value their original identity, their multilingual identity, and add to it um, through our English immersion, as far as possible.
1: Exactly. And, and that's something I've found with. So, as my Spanish has improved, I've been able to you know, make these connections. But as a Spanish learner, without English, I would not have got anywhere near as far with Spanish as I yeah. have. Because you do translate in your head, you do, you know, mm-hmm. make these connections to your own language. And, and something that I find really frustrating is when teachers say, no, no, don't translate. Don't always translate everything, but find the mm. translation because that adds that like neuro, that neurological connection. It's it's another string there, you know, to remembering that word. Don't completely disregard it. It's, you know, don't completely disregard this whole language, this whole identity, because you know, with language comes like culture. You know, I've learned yeah, so much absolutely. about Spanish culture through language. Um,
6: and I and think, also, oh, sorry, go
1: on. No, no, please, you go ahead.
6: No, I was going to agree with you. I think. I think that also i live my life in a bilingual way you wouldn't believe it from my accent but when i'm speaking french and when i'm speaking with my partner for example or my friends i'm using i'm speaking french and then there'll be a bit of english or sometimes there'll be a word that i'll put into an english sentence but it's french and it's not because I'm being pretentious. It's not because um, I can't think of the word in English, it's because that word captures a nuance and meaning better. And I mean, I'm a I'm a rudimentary bilingual person, but the competent, young, dynamic, multilingual students um, sometimes are just better communicators. They've got, they're able to read the room, to read their audience. And if you know that all, the people in your class all understand French, they might want that that
1: word that yeah. captures what they mean. Well, is it exactly that? Like in in Spanish, there's a word "ganas," which is mm-hmm. basically like drive, but it's not really drive, and it's also like the desire to do something. Like there's a saying like "no tengo me. ganas," <laughs> means I can't be bothered. "No tengo ganas" is I can't be bothered. So it's like you know, oh, I just I haven't got the ganas to do it. I don't really want to. Like mm. it's so, but it's not oomph. It's exactly else going on right exactly and there's a word uh, called aprovechar which means to take the to take advantage of um okay. or to make the most of something and you know so we'll be talking and i'll say to my daughter you need to aprovechar because and it comes out in in spanish and again it's not being pretentious it's it's because it fits better in that situation mm. and we have that the, the luck that we have that kind of extra part to us that we've grown onto ourselves with with a lot of hard work and and, and you say that this idea of of living in a kind of multilingual uh or well, bilingual in in my case um situation and, and it's exactly the same for me at home i'll mainly speak in english because my wife is bilingual my daughter's bilingual like actual proper real bilinguals unlike someone like myself a rudimentary bilingual you know
4: <laughs> I'm not it Spanish it enough yet Um
1: I like that uh, so yeah I at home I, we, we speak mostly in English but there is also a lot of Spanish and my life I change between the two different languages you know I speak to my in-laws in Spanish the people in the street I speak to the parents of the students in in Spanish. Um, and it's mm. it hasn't made me un-English, <laughs> no matter how hard I try to be un-English. Um, it hasn't taken that away from me. And I still, you know, have that as part of me. Um, and it's so important. I, I remember seeing uh, a, a post a while back about Princess Charlotte or something. And it says, you know, Princess Charlotte is bilingual and she's only three. And I just thought like every single immigrant family on Mm. the planet like this is why is this such big news that you know this incredibly rich and privileged family have been able to give education to their their child when i think my daughter's bilingual uh you know loads of my friends in the village here they're bilingual anybody who's come from one country and gone to another country their children are going to be bilingual why are we shouting and screaming about this Anyway, sorry. I have gone off track there. So we've covered politics and the royal
6: family so far.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I won't ask you what you were doing for the jubilee because we only have about 20 minutes left um so I don't I don't want to get onto rant mode for that. However, I am going to shoot off briefly for some adverts. Um are you going to hang around for the last few minutes sure. afterwards? Amazing news. I'm not going to mute you. I'll let you mute yourself because that way, when you come back, you'll be able to unmute. Um, we'll be back in about two minutes. Um, stay where you are. This episode
0: of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you, too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at
2: www.withaslacgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development
3: in bursary. Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at stevewoods.co.uk.
4: Here at Witherslack Group, we are celebrating the launch of our new Luxborough Court School in Chickwell, Essex with a very special one day autism conference titled Enabling Inspirational Education. Taking place on Wednesday the 29th of June from 10 a.m. at Luxborough Court School, our event is dedicated to providing practical advice to education professionals working with neurodiverse children and young people. The event is free to attend and presentations on the day will focus on creating cultures of aspiration and excellence, supporting the emotional well-being of pupils, autism-friendly classrooms and managing challenging behaviour. So, whether you're looking to add to your extensive understanding or are new to SEN and wanting to build your knowledge, our conference will offer an amazing opportunity to engage with experts and network with colleagues from across the sector. Don't miss your chance to claim your free ticket and we hope you can join us for what's sure to be a fantastic day. Visit wwwwitherslackgroupcouk forward slash events to register or contact events at witherslackgroup.co.uk for more information.
1: And we are back um, for the final straight. I'm so glad George has agreed to join us because I have to ask him a question. I forgot to ask him before, um, but I'm going to ask him now. Go for it. George. Is there anything exciting on the horizon for you? <laughs> well, I'm enjoying being in the south of France right now. That's
6: great. But yeah, tomorrow I'm I'm part of a panel for a Facebook Live event, which is all about language for resilience. And it, there's a lot of crossover, actually, what we've been talking about today, about creating inclusive cl- um, classrooms, making sure that um, those migrants and displaced people Feel comfortable in those classrooms, that their own identities are recognised and valued, and they feel safe. So, yeah, if you fancy joining me for that, it's at three PM French time, two PM UK time, on the teaching English website, on Teach English Facebook, I should say.
1: Excellent. I will. I will do my best to be there. um Tomorrow is my daughter's birthday celebration. Oh, happy um, birthday! I, well, it's her birthday next week, but hey, oh. we go. <laughs> It's a celebration tomorrow because she's celebrating with her friends. Because the next week we we she finishes school and we're going to Rome because we're going to a summer camp in Rome. So she won't be able to mm-hmm. celebrate with her friends. Obviously, going to Rome isn't enough for a nine-year-old. Um, <laughs> we live in a very different world to when we were nine. I think. Um, a very different. I yeah. didn't. It wasn't this hot. No, <laughs> for many reasons, no, but... no and I, yeah, I wouldn't have dreamt of being. I've never been to Rome, so I, I definitely didn't go to Rome for my ninth birthday. um So yeah, we're we're very excited about that. But yeah, tomorrow is to say, you know, to see her her friends and so on and so forth. Um, so we're doing that on a Thursday. We're even having some of them sleep over on a school night. Would you believe? Wow, and, you know, it's outrageous. I'm gonna have. <laughs> Four children in our house, and my cousin. Um, but yeah, I will do my best to get there because the party doesn't start until the afternoon, obviously. Um, and I have a, I have a brief meeting right beforehand, so I will be at my computer. Um, <laughs> no and it's excuse. something I've I, I've I've taken a fair bit of interest with recently because um, Emily Bryson's been doing a lot of talks with for National Geographic um, mm. on this on this issue. Um, and I actually spoke to her at Ayat um about a number of things. She's she's one of my my marigolds uh, online now. A marigold is somebody, um, it's a, a marigold is a plant that you plant and it helps other plants around them grow. You know, it provides nutrients for others. So an online marigold or a person who's a marigold is somebody who helps you and supports you and you know helps you grow. Uh,
6: mm-hmm.
1: She's one of my marigolds, so I was delighted to meet her. I must
6: say, I think. The, the National Geographic books are very good examples of books that, that do strive for this kind of inclusivity and representation
1: certainly I, th- I think really as well with their with their new book voices it's mm. I had a very brief look at it um, but I've spoken to three of the authors one of whom is is Emily yes. and it talks about the pronunciation for example is is elf pronunciation English is a lingua franca instead of yes absolutely. So we're obviously fine with our pronunciation because you know we talk proper. So well, I mean, nobody understands us.
6: No, <laughs> I, mean, no. I mean, I think well, doesn't but... their research show that English is a lingua
1: franca? English spoken by non-native speakers is much more understandable. No, nobody understands us, George. But it doesn't matter because you know the <laughs> phon- the phonemic script that we get in in English file or whatever says we're correct, so that's okay. And as we're English, we say it right. You know, it's it's trousers, not pants. Um, and that's not a pronunciation thing, obviously. Um, I'm so trying I, to I, hard to
6: suppress my Fen accent as we yeah.
1: as we speak. <laughs> it, it's funny because my my wife grew up in Australia, so I now say pasta. So when I go back home, my you know my my family, my pasta is pasta. It's like, well, you know what. Does it really matter? If you understand me, does it really matter? Apparently it matters to, to British people that we pronounce things properly. Um, but yeah, it has that, and it also has intercultural, an intercultural section that, that Chia wrote, so it was Some also, pictures, I guess, previously. And so, I mean, yeah, the pictures could be tokenism, but in this case they're not. It's
6: real, the themes, the, the visuals, it's all very um, inclusive and encouraging, yeah. I find.
1: It's, it's, it's very good. Um, and yeah, they're, they really are kind of they're at the forefront, I think of of these things, although other publishers are catching on. Um, mm-hmm. I know that other publishers have like have consultants, you know, um, DEI consultants, and yeah. sustainability consultants as well. Um, really? Not speaking from experience or anything. Um, <laughs> but I know that with these, these kind of these I don't want to call them modern day issues because they are issues that have been around forever, but obviously Mm. people are more socially aware in in a lot of environments. um, That publishers are becoming much more aware of them and whether it is tokenism or whether it's because of a genuine desire to change, I don't know how, I don't want to say how important it is because it's obviously important there is a genuine desire for change, but it needs to happen. Whether it starts out as tokenism, I don't know. Whether it starts out as greenwashing, I don't know, or pinkwashing, or, or whatever kind of washing it is, as long as it's starting and the change is happening, and it, and it's great to see that this idea of parsnips when you're making materials is slowly becoming less kind of common. It's you know th- this idea of mm. of sexuality isn't directly cut out. You know, oh no, we can't have two men in a family. You know, we can't have an interracial family. Have how awful. But um, don't you think, too, it's also these conversations, whether they're happening in staff rooms, whether
6: they're happening on, on I don't know, Teaching English Facebook page or whatever. I think it's these conversations that help to normalize the conversation. Like, it's a difficult topic to talk about, I think. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm openly gay, but I, I, I stumble over all the acronyms. I talk about, I've been talking about LGBTI, because that's what my, my research was focused on, but it's an intimidating topic to talk about. And I think um, you don't want to hurt anyone. You don't want to exclude anyone. You don't want to create ripples around uh, a sensitive subject. So I think it's also a question of bravery and on the part of publishers to kind of take up the conversation. And if it's done well, then hopefully it will be something that will
1: have a positive impact going forward, I hope. I know for me that the first time I I spoke to someone Jordan was a guest a long long time ago Um, and it was about uh, queer identity in ELT and I know that the first time I spoke on on Teachers Talk Radio about it I was you know a bit scared because I didn't want to say the wrong thing yeah because I didn't want to offend somebody and it's like I'm I'm coming at this with good intentions. I don't want to offend anybody, and I know that I probably wouldn't offend anybody because they know I'm coming at it with good intentions. But it was the fear of saying the wrong acronym or you know, absolutely. I like, am I allowed to say queer? Because is that because it used to be a bad thing, but now it's even in the TV program. So I can I, can I say it? And it's like, well, you can say it because it's a thing. And so, like, okay, okay. So I can no, yeah, like yeah. I've.
6: I Sorry, I interrupted you again. <laughs> that, No, I think it's important because I think we we mustn't let that kind of detail stunt the conversation. Personally, that's my personal take on it. I think it's really important that people kind of don't get, feel intimidated to talk about it. And whatever that, that area of diversity, whatever that identity. The truth is everyone has an identity that's complex and meaningful. It doesn't matter if you're LGBTIQA plus or you're... Of afro-caribbean descent, or whatever. Everyone has an identity that is nuanced. I'm grumpy sometimes. <laughs> I don't that's an identity. That's just a lie. But it's an identity, and I think like uh, we have to fig- move away from just dealing with compartmentalized areas of our identities and think of ourselves as rounded, full human beings. And we're all interesting. There's all something for us to explore.
1: That's something that you know I've. I'm really grateful to my wife for because she, she's helped me a lot in you know not giving labels to everyone and everything. And and it seems that people want to give these labels to everyone and everything. And it's like, why can't we just let people be them? Yeah, exactly. Like whether you're an L, a G, a B, a T, a Q, an I, whatever you are, or an an S, a, a an F. Uh, wherever you are, wherever you're from, it doesn't matter. You don't need a letter, a label to to be put on you. But that being said, that's not to negate people who who have these identities. It's not to negate the the fight that they've had no. for equality. Absolutely not. You know, and, and I do also, believe. Yes,
6: Sorry, and don't you also ahead. think? Don't you also think that that's that's it as well? I think it's quite fine for me again in this context to say. It's not the predominant badge I want to wear, but at the same time, for some people, it's it's a it's a weapon to protect themselves. To some people, it's a, a weapon to push for change, and I think it's it's that it's being able to label yourself, I guess, with all the complexity and all the
1: pride that you feel. Well, exactly that, and and this brings me back to something we talked about early on: this this idea of pride and so on. Um, and I saw somebody being criticised on LinkedIn for flaunting their, their gayness, you know, for <laughs> flaunting it because you know they had the, the the audacity to post a picture of them, you know, during Pride, being mm-hmm. proud um, with with their partner. And you know, people obviously people backed this person up. You know, I said, you know, don't to the people who were were criticising it. But it's like, it's how is it not okay? to to flaunt it, you know, it's, if it's okay mm. for somebody to post a picture of them saying, wow, 20, I've been married for 25 years, this is brilliant. You know, people don't say stop flaunting your straightness. That's <laughs> disgraceful, let's oh, get it out of my face. I don't want to see that, you know, it's so important that that it is, um, what's, rather than normalize, that like the Tyson says it was actualized. I usualized. Think, <laughs> usualized, there you go. Mm-hmm usualized. It's it's so important that that, that happens and, and that you do see it. And, you know, pride is very important.
4: Yeah, it's it important
1: is. in a way that it isn't, you know, tokenized and used by corporations to just change their logo on, on Facebook or whatever. But it, it's so important that it's out there and, and people have the opportunity to, to continue this conversation and step out of their comfort zone. Because I'm perfectly happy speaking about it. You know, as mm. I said, the first time I came on the radio, I was a bit worried about offending people. Now I know if I say something stupid, it's my own fault, but it's not from a bad place. And no, absolutely. I know the people who I'm me, speaking to, <laughs> <laughs> I know the people I'm speaking to will say to me, do you know what, Harry, that's what you've just said is a bit stupid and ill-informed. Mm. So let me inform you. And I think I think you're quite right about Pride. As a young
6: young man who just moved to Paris, my experience of my first gay pride was life-changing. To see that something that to me had been a source of concern and upset was this huge, it was just transformed into this huge celebration. It's. I don't think you can find a happier, more joy, excuse me, a more joyous um, celebration than a pride march it's the best in paris in summer when it's
1: hot oh, i've not been to the paris one but <laughs> the, the pride marches i've been to have just been the most fun But well, it was it, it... It, yes oh sorry i was
6: just gonna say it, it was everything that i i hadn't had under that section 28 period education it was that role model
1: it was that um celebration so i think it's hugely important it's i i i loved it i i i had like the most fun like, at <laughs> any kind of march but admittedly most of my marches i go on tend to be protest marches you know either against the war or things that are happening through climate change they, they, they definitely can and you know the the, the unity of being together they, they definitely are but they're not as fun i'm sorry no. they're not as fun as pride it just it's just happy you know it's just happy and and to be there and to be able to share in those moments with you know people being able to be themselves it's just Mm. i I love it now we've got four minutes left i would like to ask you some quick fire questions gosh okay go on if that's okay don't worry they're not they're not difficult questions (laughs) Um, so first question very simple What's your favourite season? Summer. Excellent. Um, It wouldn't be if you lived here. Um, (laughs) Might not be if I lived in (laughs) Exxon-Provence. What's your favourite word? Empathetic. Nice. I Mm. like empower. Um, Mm.
6: It's got a TH sound in it that I didn't used to be able to say coming from the fence. I had to learn. Oh, there you go. go. (laughs)
1: Um, What word do you hate hearing? Ooh, gherkin. That's not a nice word, is it? No, Um, horrible food. I I was going to ask you the next question, but I'm not going. What word do you have a hard time pronouncing? Um... (laughs) Any word with a TH. Unfortunately,
6: (laughs) when I first started teaching, my first job was in a language lab. And people wanted the exercise was to teach the phonetic sound TH. That was when I realized I couldn't say it. And then I realized my birthday was on the 13th of December.
3: Oh which
1: is no! <laughs> just oh, really? a nightmare. There you go. That's the, to... <laughs> that's the day before my brother's birthday. 14th would have been a bit easier for me. There you go. <laughs> and his. Uh, and that, that's actually Ben Greco's birthday. Who's yeah. somebody who was in my brother's year at school. And Hannah Greco, they're twins. Uh, <laughs> completely I'm, I'm a birthday person I, uh, now now i know I, I won't forget your birthday just for information i can now pronounce th as well there you go I good won't, news but i could <laughs> <laughs> um next one which emoji do you text the most a smiling face very good um i love doing the activity in class of getting students to do emojis Mm. Um, And then they can describe them as well afterwards. So you know they can do it and then they can say, no, no, it's not the smiley face. It's the smiley face to the side with the tears (laughs) coming out. Um, It's a fun activity. It's a great warmer while you're waiting for everyone to get there. How do you feel today? Show me in an emoji, but show me the emoji. (laughs) And then so, yeah, it's a lot more, particularly with young learners, you get a lot more than just I am happy which is, you're clearly not happy. You're crying. Why are you saying you're happy? It's the only word I remember. Um, there we go. Um, it was, that was fun. Uh, it was fun, thank Fun little thank way you. To, to end. Um, <laughs> and in general, today has been lovely. It's been informative. I will get you the the, the link so, so it can be shared Brilliant. around, so everyone can hear it as a podcast as well. Um, George Wilson, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely. It's been wonderful. So, everybody else who's listening, I will hear you, I guess, next week um, when I'll be speaking to Christopher Graham about all things green, um, which is something I like. Until then, I'll see you next week.
0: You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time